0: This is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for episode 58 is Jungian analyst, author and astrologer Shireen Vishmaya at the Amrita Puri Ashram in India. She earned a master's degree in clinical psychology from New York University, and a master's degree in psychoanalytic studies from the New School for Social Research. She trained as a Jungian analyst at the International School of Analytical Psychology in Zurich, where she later taught the course Seeking the Self, the Archetype of the Hermit and the Solitary Path of Individuation. She is the co-author of Surviving Saturn's Return, Overcoming the Most Tumultuous Time of Your Life, The Fate of Your Date, Divination for Dating, Mating, and Relating, and Dog Stars, Astrology for Dog Lovers, and she is the former writer of the astrology column for Teen Vogue. Her yearly pilgrimages to India over the past two decades have greatly influenced her philosophy and her work. She attributes much of her metaphysical knowledge to her spiritual guru Mata Amritananda Mayi and the insight of her late astrology mentor Edwin C. Steinbrecher. She received her astrology certification in 2000 and continues to incorporate Dome's Inner Guide Meditation Technique, a process of integrating active imagination with astrology. Her writing credits and features include NBCAstrology.com, Fox Morning Show, The Benjamin Moore Oroscope Campaign, BravoTV.com, LifeScript, and The Mountain Astrologer. Shireen teaches classes and workshops internationally on astrology, Jungian archetypal psychology, dream analysis, and authentic movement. She is currently in private practice in San Francisco, California, and Kerala, India. She has been the resident astrologer for LUK UK magazine since 2005 and is the creator of Project 40, 40 Days and 40 Nights of Jungian Alchemy. This interview is being recorded on Wednesday, April 1st, 2020, through the magic of Skype.
1: Hi, Shireen. Hi, Laura. Hi. How are you? (laughs) Very good. I mean, all things considered, um, and very happy to be connecting with you from all the way across the world today tonight. I love that we're doing this in the middle of the night.
0: Yes, uh, it's quiet outside and I really appreciate your time, you taking the time out from where you are to speak with all of us at this very strange and unusual time. Although for the astrologers, we were expecting something, although I would say not quite
1: this. Um, Were you? I mean, none of us could have ever imagined um, the the level. I think. I mean, you know, as an astrologer, we often it's interesting. We do use our imaginations, of course, but I don't think anyone had come close to um, depicting, you know, or envisioning the 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 magnitude of this. Um, as as you and I were speaking before we started recording, um, I mentioned that I'm in a very sacred place right now in Kerala, India, with my Sadhguru Amma, Mata Amrit Nandamai. And And um, she actually uh, gave us a warning about this um, back in 2017. Um, she didn't say specifically what it was, but she did warn us uh, that there was something very difficult coming in 2020. I'll never forget I was here when she said this. And she the what she told us was that um, we should know where we want to be in 2020 because it will be very difficult to travel based on what happens. So we again we were trying to imagine what that would be. We thought, is it a war? What is it, you know? And this is kind of people are comparing this to a, a war, like our wartime, I suppose. I mean There's really no words for this, but I thought it was very interesting that she warned us about being where we want to be, and also that she started this prayer, this meditation and prayer two years ago, where we, um, every time we meet for meditation, which is daily, that we do this extended visualization of uh, white flower petals, like a continuous showering of white flower petals, falling from the skies down onto the earth and into the oceans and the rivers and the lakes and on the birds and the animals and even onto our own heads and we do this for some time and you know we knew okay she's asking us to do this because the world she said mother nature is very agitated you know human minds are very agitated and this would be a calming meditation so but again little did we know the extent right and But it makes sense that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that metaphor of something very pure, because she says to think of it like raindrops or snowflakes falling from the skies. And since this thing is really existing, this virus is so much about what is in the air, right? Here, we're doing this visualization of purifying the air. So anyone who's listening to this, if you could even just take out five minutes of your day to do this visualization, it's very powerful. We know how if nothing else with the astrology right now, especially, which we'll talk about, we know how powerful imagery is and imagination and energy reverberating. So there's so much fear in the air. The other thing my teacher says is that fear is the virus of the mind. And I think to combat fear, we need to direct our minds and our internal strength toward sending out as much um, healing you know, energies for healing, energies for protection, and courage with compassion. Because the other thing she says is courage without compassion is cruelty. So if we can send out, you know, this very compassionate um, healing energy through the form of prayer and meditation and whatever you do personally, spiritually, everyone has their own practice, but that helps you center and get strong within so that you can be a force of compassion, I think. This is what's going to get us through this um, the most gracefully, and and will invoke divine grace, which is what we need the most right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you would tell us a little bit about Amma. You and I connected because, um, well, you are a Jungian analyst and an astrologer, and I wanted to talk on the podcast with an analyst about the current astrology because it is so such a a major topic and very telling of the times but you and I had had this common connection where I I'm not a devotee of Ama but I did meet her and attend some of her lectures when she was her talks when she was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, way back when um, I, I'm i thinking now it was probably in the late 1990s. And this was really before I was really into young, I was dabbling in Hinduism and Buddhism and metaphysics and just open to everything. And uh, Ama was in Santa Fe, and I did go to her talks and was very moved by it and always remembered it. And then when I found you, and I saw that you were a devotee, is that the correct word to use? Mm-hmm. 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 So would you just tell the audience who might not be familiar with her just a little bit about her?
1: Sure, it be my pleasure. So, um, she's probably most commonly referred to as the hugging saint. She's hugged millions of people around the world. Her religion is love. she That's what she says. I mean, she's not here to uh, invoke a cult following or anything like that. And mm-hmm. certainly there's a lot of bad raps about gurus out there. This is really an avatar, an incarnation of um, uh, the goddess, the dark goddess Kali, and uh, And she's really, her mission is just to bring back dharma to the world, love, in the the form of love, you know, that's really, she's on a mission to bring as much comfort and love to people through her hugs, through her blessings. Um, She's raised millions and trillions of dollars to, you know, support every kind of charity all over the globe. Her mission is called Bracing the World. Um, so many relief funds, free hospitals, it, everything you can imagine that could help humanity. She's been a part of that um, and continues to all of, you know, raise money for um, helping the poor. So that that continues. Um, and um, she, you know is uh, if you watch her, I mean, it doesn't take a lot to, describe her powers, I mean, all you have to do is watch the fact that she sits almost every single day uh, of her life um, for the last, since right before you met her, I think, so You if you met her in the late 90s, I believe she started doing, the like, going on these tours to different parts of the world to hug people, um, like, more than, like, a little bit more than, I think it's going on 30 years. So that must have been, if you had the late 90s, that's when I met her as well in New York City. Um, So it's just been an ever-growing mission. But I think, um, you know, her force of love is more essential now than ever because everyone, I think, the beauty of this, you know, perhaps the blessing in disguise of this tragedy is that we are all waking up to compassion. I mean, I've seen more posts about that than I've ever seen, um, and that's so comforting to just see. People are finally like, "What are? What have we been wasting our time doing?" This is very yeah. Saturn and Capricorn, right? Oh, now it's an Aquarius. It's also a very Saturn Aquarius theme. Saturn just went into Aquarius. We'll talk about that. But this was elicited from Saturn, the Saturn Pluto conjunction. As we'll discuss, I mean that was definitely a big part of this process. I'm not saying it's the, it was the initial cause, but it's certainly a major factor, an archetypal backdrop to what we're experiencing now because this podcast is
0: about Jung, I just wanted to bring Jung into the picture here. I heard you say that at the end of his life, Jung is reported to have said that he wished he'd studied more astrology. So how as a Jungian analyst, do you incorporate astrology into your work? And and how did you get to this place? I I mean, I, I also heard you say, and this is I love this. You said that the natal chart, which is the birth chart, the chart for, for, and I just want to sometimes clarify things for people who might not be that familiar with astrology, the natal chart or the birth chart or the horoscope is the chart for the exact moment that you were born. So in order to calculate that, we need the day, obviously, also the time and the place. And there are some websites out there that will construct a birth chart um, for free online uh, with just that information. But you said that the natal chart is an x-ray of the psyche.
1: (laughs) Yes, or a mandala or like a beautiful composite drawing of all the inner gods and goddesses, you know, one of my, my astrology mentor, Edwin Steinbrecher really helped me bridge that, bridge those two worlds between my love of Jungian analysis psychology with astrology, because before I met him, I already had the interest in astrology from self-study. And since I was in fourth grade, actually, I got interested in in astrology, even before psychology. And then I found Jung when I was in high school, I got very interested in Jung, um, and, um, so I didn't know how to bridge them when I was, you know, I was going to NYU at the time studying very dry clinical psychology, trying to figure out how am I going to get from here to either I want to become some kind of, I really wanted to be a metaphysician. I mean, that's actually what I used to call myself when, when I first opened my practice, you know, Yeah. after I had my master's degree. Um, I, I thought that was that's what I wanted to be. So I called myself a metaphysician because that's what I was doing, you know, was really I was interested in metaphysics. I only wanted psychology to help me understand the metaphysics. I didn't want to diagnose people and, you know, prescribe medication. I wanted to understand the soul and I wanted to understand all the secrets of the soul in very Scorpio fashion. So anyway, um, I... When I discovered Edwin Steinbrecher's book, The Inner Guide Meditation, you know, right in the beginning of the book he has this transcription uh, for his institute, he called it DOME, and the acronym means All the Gods and Goddesses Bring Forth or Eat the Worlds, which is interesting, depending on how you translate the Latin. But he was emphasizing how they, they bring forth, but they do also eat the worlds. We're seeing that right now, right? right. <laughs> They bring forth, and in obviously in the uh, Hindu pantheon, we have the gods of creation, the gods of destruction. Like Brahma is the creator, Vishnu is the sustainer, and Shiva is the destroyer. So we're in a Shiva time right now. So we're destroying the poisons, and one of the things I love that... Um, uh, one of the uh, senior uh, swamis here was saying like, maybe we have to consider that we are the pandemic to mother nature yeah. because now she's getting a break, you know, <laughs> but imagine that we have the, we were not listening to the symptoms that mother nature was suffering. The earth was suffering. Right. 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 We weren't taking heed to all the symptoms and just like in our bodies you know as an analyst we look at the symptoms we say where how is the soul suffering how and how is the body translating the suffering of the soul or the sickness of the psyche through the body often through body symptoms right right so we can see like the outer reflecting the inner the above so below as we talk about in alchemy right so anyway this is kind of a long full yeah Please. circumulation around your question. No, keep going. Yeah. Um, but I would say so. The bridge. Why? You know, I was very happy. I think I had heard Jung about Jung saying he wished she had studied astrology. When I, from the times I spent in Zurich, with ISAP, um, and you know, I go every summer for the Jungian Odyssey, and um, or spring, I guess it is. So the, it was during one of those that somebody had mentioned. Jung's grandfather used to, or sorry, grandson rather, used to um, sometimes attend those. He, he attended the one that was in um, Sils Maria, which was a really beautiful conference, one of my favorite, most memorable conferences. And he was there. And I feel like it was at that one that I heard someone say that that's something he, you know, was pretty, pretty reliable information because it was coming from the family. I don't know if he mm-hmm. said it, but it was circul- circulating around that conference. And... Um, It got back to me because they knew I was an astrologer Mm -hmm. and um, that he would have his daughter draw up some of the charts because I guess she was very good with the astrology. So for his patients toward the end, he was saying, oh, that's one thing he wished he would have had more time to study because he was very fascinated by seeing how you could uh, actually – zone in on the complexes from the horoscope like when you look at up you know mm-hmm. oppositions in the horoscope especially there you will really see a complex you know and a very <laughs> union complex because you see the split you see the psychic split oh, yeah. of the opposites that you're trying to reconcile mm-hmm. and squares a little bit too but really like the Jungian type the thing that he was very uh fascinated with in the psyche those really intense complexes where you identify with one side of the complex and project the other side onto the person, you will see that in the opposition to the chart so much. Those are probably the most difficult to reconcile, but having a language, that's where it's beautiful. So that circles back to the part of your question asking me, well, how do I bring astrology in with my client work? And, you know, when I first started my practice, um, in the, you know, late nineties, I guess it was like middle to late nineties when I started, I, um, and I was just starting my my Jungian work at that time. I was you know, still in supervision and everything with my from the clinical side of things. So it was kind of interesting trying to bridge this very academic world with more spiritual world. And I remember um, at that time having to kind of keep my astrology, you know, in the closet, like i right. didn't I couldn't tell some of my supervisors, and I didn't know if it was you know, um, if it was kosher to bring out the charts. So I would try to kind of get the birth info. But really, like on the down low, I didn't even know if my clients should know that I wanted to look at their charts. Right, if that was right. yeah. I mean, it was very different back then, you know. And then luckily, I finally had a supervisor through the Jung Institute in New York, who um, I was referred to because she was interested in astrology. So that was great. Um, that really helped me to kind of come out of the closet at that point. So that must have been late 90s. And then, uh, obviously it's really evolved and now you see astrology has just taken off so now people are kind of coming at it, coming at it at the other from the other side like people are coming from astrology trying to find their way into jungian theory that's very popular yes, now Yes, i noticed that right that? Mm-hmm. but i hope people will go a little bit more into the the rigor of taking time and not just borrowing cuz I, I have this as one of my pet peeves people kind of just steal and take without really understanding All the depth to his teachings. I'm so glad his teachings are getting out there, but I'm sure you've seen and probably have a similar feeling because you've been in Jungian analysis for so many years that it's a very deep process and it's not something to just be, you know, made as superficial. So we have this with everything now. This is part of the Kali Yuga. (laughs) A lot of, you know, really beautiful, deep metaphysical, well-researched, things that used to have a lot of time and depth included are kind of now taken and made very commercial. Yeah. It's interesting that you
0: mentioned the Kali Yuga because I am a note taker. And way back before the internet, I would go to the Barnes and Noble in my neighborhood back when I lived in Columbus. And I would, there were big sofas in there and comfy chairs. And it was very welcoming where you could just go and s- take a book off the shelf and sit and read it and, and not have to buy it and, and bring it home with you. And I was looking through a magazine called Enlightenment Magazine. And there was an interview with Ken Wilber <laughs> this was a long time ago and I I wrote, some, I wrote down some notes in a notebook and I still have all of my notebooks and he said, we're in the thick of the Kali Yuga and this had to have been in maybe the mid-90s and that always stuck with me and then I never heard that term again and now I'm hearing it a lot. So would you tell us a little bit about what this era is that we're in right now. And I just also want to clarify something that you said at the beginning about Ama saying, know where you want to be by 2020, right? So Mm -hmm. before we got to this period of time, we need to get settled because when 2020 comes, we're going to be, we're in it we're in the middle of it. So we needed to do a lot of preparation beforehand.
1: Yes, yes. She was even telling us to grow our own food and Mm -hmm. be very settled in. And um, yeah, um, which now makes a lot more sense, of course. But um, Kali Yuga, Kali Yuga. So the goddess Kali is the dark goddess. Um, She's another kind of fierce form of the goddess Um, but she's, her real purpose, you know, is to remove the ego. So she wants to, um, sever the ego so that we can get to this compassion and love. So anything standing in the way of compassion and love, we need that heavy artillery of the goddess Kali. We need that dark goddess power. And interestingly enough, astrologically, you know, when this whole thing was peaking worldwide was right, you know, I, I would say when it was sort of a worldwide peak situation, I think many of us could agree, was happening on this new moon in Aries that we just had. Um, I have no sense of time or dates all of a sudden, as many of us do. People are calling That's this okay. March.
0: That's okay. I, I, I have transit calendars <laughs> up. So the new moon in Aries that we just had was yeah, on March 24th.
1: Yeah. See, I, we're just April 1st now. Yep. So that wasn't so long ago, right? I mean, we're having the full moon next week. But that new moon was had a conjunction with black moon Lilith. Now, there's no Kali-specific uh, Kali moon or something. But I think the closest we could say black moon Lilith to me is like a Kali energy. So I thought that's very powerful. New moon in Aries, sign of war, sign of new beginnings, but also god of war with Goddess Kali, God, Black Moon Millet, with Chiron, the wounded healer, look at that signature. So this right. is how I look at astrology archetypally. I look at it like, what are the themes? And this is, people are really, this is what's beautiful. You probably see a lot of people approaching astrology more like this now. Mm-hmm. It's definitely evolving. Um, so the wounded healer, is. it's interesting to think about you know the medicine behind the wound. So often, many of us have our wounds. So That's why we go into healing practices. We go into analysis. We go into um, our own. First, we we approach our own uh, journey of healing. So, and then often we become healers in one form or another. Or right. We offer medicine on the other side, but we have to first heal our own wounds. So. I felt this new moon was really calling us to, you know, as we're all quarantined, we have to confront ourselves. Another beautiful thing my teacher has said is, you know, the world is in ICU right now. And she said, that's how we finally see ourselves. ICU. We cannot run from ourselves. We have to see ourselves. This goes into Jungian psychology, the self. He loves solitude. He was all, he, there's all these memes and quotes now about how much Jung loves solitude. Right. He was all for the solitude and facing ourselves. And he loved uh, Eastern philosophy. Actually, he's got some beautiful lectures on Kundalini Yoga. That would be great maybe to share as a resource here to see the connection between East and West there. Um, I love the work he did on those Kundalini Yoga lectures. So um, anyway, but going back to this new moon, it's like coming back to that I am principle of the self. That is, We're all on the battlefield right now with this virus, but the battlefield is conquering our own fear coming into more compassion, conquering our own ego, because Aries is the archetype of the ego. It's the infant self. You know, it's the at the highest, it's the highest I am principle, but at the baseline, it's, you know, the tenter, temper tantrum infant, you know, mm-hmm, like right. I want what I want right want now. So we're probably all feeling a little bit of both things. Like part of us want to just climb the walls and scream and say, why is this happening to me, you know? And another part of us, is really we're getting this initiation because Aries is a sign of initiation. So it's a completely new paradigm. We don't have any, uh, there's no roadmap for where we're going. Nobody knows. We don't know what's going to happen. Nobody. We're watching thousands of interviews and videos and predictions and doctors and scientists and uh, psychics and astrologers. And we can all try to put the pieces together and guess how long this will be. What's going to be on the other side? But the beauty of this is we don't really know. And we have to live in the unknown now. There's the Neptune piece of it. Because Neptune's also playing a very strong role during this. This whole thing has been going on while we've had very strong uh, Mercury and Pisces influence throughout this whole thing, which is still happening. And Mercury's very close to Neptune right now. Neptune is the planet of surrender, the unknown, the invisible. This virus is invisible. Yeah. So... We all are operating in the dark in many ways, and we can only live moment to moment. We don't have a choice. I mean, we can pretend we're going to make plans. You know, they say the gods laugh while we make plans. Well, they're really laughing now because <laughs> everything's been canceled, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. And as far
0: as astrology and its detractors and how does this work, and I always say, if I hadn't learned astrology, I think I would have lost my mind. Um, I took two years in the late 1990s uh, to study astrology. Um, I too was hiding it. Mm Ina Stanley's online college of astrology um, was new. And I had internet connection, I had a computer and that's what I did for 2 years. I knew that I needed the basics and I I needed the structure of learning it for, formally and I did did that and it made it made everything make sense to me. It made the world make sense, it made life make sense, it made myself Make sense to me how I relate to other people and also the differences between myself and other people, the similarities. It made everything make sense because I could see it visually and it's, you know, it's very specific and mathematical and I needed that structure. So when I think, I don't know if I heard you say this or, or, or I read this, but that the planets are inner energies. So we're always thinking that things are out there. The energy is out there. This is doing this to me. But if we look at it as, and, and and this is not everybody wants to take responsibility, right? For life, for their life. The planets symbolize inner energies. Like when we talk about Saturn, well, what is the Saturn in me, right? Yeah, And they aren't just out there, they're also in here. So I was wondering if you would talk a little bit about what an astrological chart, what do you see um, when when we look at the planets and the aspects that they make to one another, the angles that they make to each other, the relationship that they make to each other, and each planet is in a sign and is in a house. But what does that Say about us I- internally,
1: right? Yes, yes. Um, I was alluding to it earlier, um, as when I was talking about how I really felt the some of the more challenging aspects between planets in somebody's um, natal horoscope could reveal complexes like a square or an opposition, um, or even a quincunx. I think those can be the most challenging, actually. Which that might be like over some people's head, but. There, let's suffice it to say there are some very difficult uh, relationships between planetary energies. Now, we are mapping the sky um, and then reading it as a reflection of what happens internally in that person's psyche. So it's like, well, why would the sky at the moment of birth have that much influence on a person's psychology? Might be the question, right? Like you were saying.
0: Yes, thank you. You might not exactly. appreciate
1: that. Well, a couple things. One, I mean, you know, I think this is very beautiful in the Bhagavad Gita that Krishna talks about. You know, he put his, God put the energy into the planets, like basically like we think, okay, if there is the God running this show, like how is he running it? Well, one of the ways that he's monitoring everything is through the planetary energies, right? So if his essence is in these different planetary bodies, that's what they believe in India. Like, they really treat the planets like gods. And that's also why I loved Edwin Steinbrecher's work when I realized he was also treating the planets as archetypal gods Um, instead of thinking of them as some kind of... You know, it goes goes against that patriarchal mentality of, like, there's this god sitting in the sky, you know, punishing us, doling out punishments and rewards or something. No, it's the idea... That the universe was set up in such a way through this, you know, primal force, however you want to call it, God, or part the Brahman, or you want to call it Brahma, or you want to call it, however you understand, you know, this, the source, right, of all things, Mm -hmm. that there is a whole, it's, it's created in the whole system, nature's part of it. Humans are just part of nature. So we're also composite of all these energies and we're, we're just using the horoscope as a map to understand which of these gods and goddesses as planets, how they were relating at the time we started this life. As we started this incarnation, what was their relationship? Because as you know, the way we start things is a big signature, right? And the way it's going to go. I mean, even if you look at it on that microcosmic level, we always say the way something starts, the way a relationship starts, the way a project starts you see almost everything in that seed unfolding. You go back to that root, that tap root. So the tap root of the human psychology and the life and the karmas, we can see at the moment we take our first breath and we draw the chart. So, and that's what a gift that is that we can can now read, uh, understand the energies of the planets and their relationship. So... Speaking now, so Saturn, it probably would be good to talk about, um, you know, this can tie into a lot of people have been talking about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction and Mm -hmm. what an important role that has played in this whole um, unfolding of events for 2020. And, um, you know, it's interesting because uh, Alma doesn't, she doesn't usually talk about astrology. Uh, She doesn't come out and talk about astrology, but she did say so it's significant because she has said now just a few days ago in fact that it would it was the eclipse from Christmas remember that a Christmas eclipse yes yes she said this is happening because of this very difficult energies we had at that eclipse because it wasn't a normal eclipse we had some very difficult planetary combinations happening at that time all the malefic planets were basically putting in their poisons, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they had a strong influence. But this ties back to what we were talking about with Kali Yuga. So Kali Yuga, people call it the dark age, you know. Some people call it, you know, in the Bible, I guess they call it the end times or things like that. You know, I mean, again, none of us really know. And then there's different theories, like thousands can go on for thousands of years, you know, hundreds of thousands of years before we start over in the Satya Yuga, which is the, 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 the days of truth again. Who knows how long it will take before we get back to that? But we do know we're in dark times. There's no doubt about it. But the darkness to light, we're trying to bring the darkness to light, and that's where Goddess Kali comes in, and that's where even eclipses come in because they first will reveal what's dark, and they it's like a blackout. You know, we're in a blackout time. We're still, you know, reaping the effects of this eclipse, um, and uh, many astrologers. I mean, again, none of us know for sure, but. In Vedic astrology, we're in what's called the Kala Sarpa Yoga, which I think, uh, of all, even though I'm not, a, you know, a professional Vedic astrologer, I spend so much time in India. I'm sort of like a, it's like my language when I'm here, right. you know, because there speaks that language. So I am fascinated with it. Um, and the Kala Sarpa Yoga is when all the planets are bound, they're hemmed in between the two nodal, the two nodes of the moon, Rahu and Ketu which is like the head and the tail of the demon. So when you have all the planets trapped in between those two nodes, they call it a kalasarpa yoga and it's very difficult because it's like that all those gods and goddesses you could say are trapped, you know? They're in like the, the demons have them, you know, and right. under their control, way. So we're waiting for that to break, you know? And it's like the other way you to think of it is not like again we're not being punished, but it's just the law of nature, which is cyclical, that things got out of control, you know? Every we weren't paying attention to how much we were uh, damaging the earth, all of our, you know, lack of discrimination, just the way people were not really getting the wake-up call. So this is a wake-up call. Now, this goes back to Saturn and Pluto. So now Western, I'm going back to Western psychology, and I'm giving a little bit of both East and West sides here. So, okay, first of all, Kalasarpa yoga, we come out of that at the end of May. Mercury will finally break. I'm pretty sure it's Mercury that comes out first. Yes. Breaks the Kalasarpa yoga. So we can look forward to the end of May, I think for finally seeing some relief from this, um, which matches what you see in the news actually, right? What looks like is happening. And, um, cause we know we're definitely going to be in this for another month. At least we, people's places are still peaking, you know, and then it's going to be the cleanup after that, I'm sure. So right. I, that, right. that feels right. Um, and then now if we go to the western side with Saturn and Pluto, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, I've been thinking a lot about this, and hopefully you're all following me. I'm trying to pack as much information into this as I can, but now we're going to take this back to the new moon. So first Saturn-Pluto, then we'll tie this back to what the new moon might have been telling us that we're still under, so, I mean, under that unfolding. So we had, uh, you know, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, I don't even remember. Again, we're all lost track of time the end of last year. Do you know the date of that?
0: The Saturn-Pluto conjunction was exact on January 12th, the 2020.
1: 12, okay. Yes. There we go. Okay. And then there so, was, let
0: me I'll just also add, there was an eclipse on January 10th, 2020 20. at 20 degrees Cancer.
1: Oh, the 20 degrees one. That's right. Yeah. That one wasn't as Quite as uh, I'm sure that one wasn't uh, helping situation, but supposedly that Christmas one was the one that did the damage. And that was at that, f- in Capricorn. Happened.
0: Yeah, that was at four degrees six minutes of Capricorn.
1: Yeah, that was closer to the nodes. That was with Ketu and Rahu. That's why that one was with the nodes. And then I believe there was uh, there were a bunch of difficult uh, planetary combinations happening on that day, that same day, which is what really brought that to full strength um so then yeah so then january 12th you said was the saturn pluto yes so that you know and anyway that's the exact degree day but you know these things linger around it's not like it's only that day it's like we feel the buildup and we feel the aftermath of such an intense combination of energies and i was thinking for those of you who know the tarot uh archetypes because uh This gives a visual to the planetary archetypes. So if you study the major arcana of the tarot, first 22 major arcana, uh, this is something that I learned from Dome, from Edwin Steinbrecher. He was the first to teach me this. Now a lot of people do it. Somehow become it's gotten out there, which is great. So um, in the journey of the tarot, from the fool to the world, the fool is the first card, the world is the last in the journey. This is. I've been meditating about this a lot. I think it's very fascinating that the last two cards in the deck of the Major Arcana, the last two in the story, because it, it's supposed the Major Arcana reveals the human condition, the story that we all go through at different times. Even people use that for the writing, you know, the hero's journey and all of that. A lot of this will go back to these archetypes, the unfolding and the sequence of the Major Arcana in the Tarot. This is a metaphysical gift we have from the Western world. So the last two major arcana, 20 and 21. Here we are in the year 2020, right? Double 20, double judgment. 20 is the judgment tarot card in the deck, and it's connected to the planet Pluto. 21 is the last card in the deck, and it's connected to the planet Saturn. So here... If we go back to the archetype realm, we see that conjunction brings the last two cards of the deck. So we can say that 2020 is a judgment day year, judgment awakening. That card, if you look at the symbolism, it's a, people waking up out of their graves. To me, that speaks volumes of what's happening. We've all been asleep. We're waking up. It's like a double wake-up call happening right now we are the the siren is off like we're waking up you know we have no choice i don't care how deeply people were asleep we have to wake up now that's 2020 double judgment and then saturn following the judgment that's that creates the end of the cycle so then i was thinking okay now how do we deal with this ending because before we can get once we leave this we go back to zero we go back to ground zero mm-hmm. Just like 9-11 had similar nodes, you know, when we had 9-11, we had also the north and south node, Rahu Ketu, in Ardra and Mula, the same nakshatras there and now, which have a lot to do with world destruction, storms and destruction, you know, Mula is about uprooting and Ardra is the storm, it's connected to the god Shiva, it's all about bringing the destruction, the storms of destruction, so uprooting the old paradigm.
0: I just want to add that on September 11th, we were dealing with the Saturn Pluto opposition mm-hmm. and now we have the conjunction.
1: That's right. So I think that was like, we already had a wake up call then, but we maybe did a little bit of awakening, but I think a lot of us went right back to our ways. Yes. Um, I noticed. That. And right. It was like the greed didn't really stop. It kind of got more, it like might've stopped for a little bit. Compassion might've been there for a little bit. But then, you know, we forget. We have short memories. So here, yeah, now we have the conjunction. But what I was thinking that has been really interesting. Now this ties back to that new moon in Aries. Mm -hmm. So the sun is exalted in Aries. The sun has full strength in Aries. Thank God we have that right now. That's a nice protective force we can say, right? The sun is really strong right now. Mm -hmm. Um, For The sun is our vitality. It's our health. It's our courage. It's our strength. And isn't it interesting that, before we get to those two major cards, judgment in the world, Pluto and Saturn, the one preceding those is the sun. So we need to cultivate the energy of the sun to deal with that, the finality of those last two cards, those last two archetypes, Saturn and Pluto, which we're all facing right now. Mm-hmm. We're still integrating. Before we get to that new, and 2020, by the way, also has this, I always look for this as very Marie-Louise von Franz, like I love her work with numbers and synchronicity, right? So the zeros, the zero, there's two zeros in 2020. So we have double fool, we have double judgment, and we have double high priestess, because there's two twos, there's two zeros, and there's two twenties. And then if we add everything up, it's a four, which is the emperor, which is Aries, which is what we're in now. Isn't that interesting? So you can see all the numbers also carrying the themes. There's always clues in nature. We just have to really pay attention. Signs. It's all there. We see it all unfolding. So the sun, going back to the sun, new moon in Aries, uh, the sun and moon come together in the constellation of Aries with dark moon Lilith, with Chiron. It's like, how do we heal the self, right? This is where Jung comes in, the self. We always, everything throws us back on the self. There's nowhere to run or hide. Now we're all being forced to be alone with ourselves. Saturn loves that, by the way. Saturn's yes. all about sol- solitude. Mm-hmm. You know, and I did that work, y- you know, you mentioned in the intro about the class I taught for uh, ISAP for uh, about the hermit. And that, you know, was like kind of a precursor to this. I didn't know right. how that archetype would be this year. For mm-hmm. all of us, we're all hermits right now. Mm-hmm. We're all having to find our own inner light. And Saturn is very much connected to the hermit archetype. It's funny, I was supposed to teach a whole thing about the astrology of Saturn and the hermit for a conference in India, which didn't happen, which wouldn't have happened anyway now because of this, but it was canceled way before this for other reasons, which was interesting. But anyway, oh. mm-hmm. now I can see that the Saturn is asking all of us to come back to ourselves the same way, uh, really. That is what Jungian analysis is asking us to really take time to meditate on in our inner world. Now we don't have any excuse. I mean, we can watch Netflix till we run out of Netflix. Although it's so funny, people—that's like a joke that people are saying. Okay, I finished Netflix, <laughs> like the whole thing. <laughs> it might happen. So you have to face yourself on the other side of that, right? Right. I don't even have Netflix in India, so I don't know. But I don't even know how many things are on Netflix, but. Um, you know, it's ghastly. And, it's atrocious. I
0: Yeah. Once in a while, i I'll find a documentary there. But other than that, it's mind numbing.
1: Okay. Well, I, I used to love Turner classic movies when I was home. That was kind of my escape, I guess. But now I was realizing this is kind of a funny thing, too, that, um, you know, for spiritual seekers, I was saying that this feels kind of like you get to cheat now because there's no temptation to go into the world like we can just be like yeah we have to put the soul and the spirit first because it's not really a choice anymore you know it's not like you're like oh well really the world is so amazing i'm going to just forget about my inner life you can't like the the outside you can't even go outside so i mean we can some people have access to nature still but that's also for the soul like the normal distractions we don't have really very much left a little bit i guess but My point is that I I think the real um, gift or initiation of this time is that it is the awakening like we see in the judgment card. It is the um, confrontation with death, which death is the best, greatest, uh, deepest spiritual teacher. The other thing I've been saying is that if you know the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of death, grieving, her stages of grieving, yes. those have been very helpful to people. I've been, my my current Project 40 group, it's funny, before this all happened, I had started a 40-day, this is the synchronicity, right? Mm-hmm. I started a 40-day journey um, at the beginning, let's see, we're day 37, so 37 days ago, whatever that is, um, we started this journey called Dreams, uh, Disillusionment, and Dependency, and i didn't i never know where these themes come from they just kind of come to me and then they play themselves out the god's reveal what what's going on so now i see what they're doing but the idea of wow you know here we are lots of disillusionment and lots of confrontation with the self and so we in this group we've been talking a lot about how every day we go through those death stages you know i think we're cycling through them daily and just for those of you who don't know the elizabeth kubler ross phases of grieving it starts with um denial is number one which that's the natural reaction at first like this isn't happening try to deny it it's reality it's too painful you know or it won't last or whatever some people even were saying oh it's fake it's fake news you know we saw all of that in the beginning and, and then and you uh, would suggest
0: that that is a, a form of denial the fake news yeah
1: i would i mean yeah it, Especially, well, now especially. I mean, how can you deny? There's like millions, you know, I don't it's not millions, but hundreds and thousands of cases. I don't even know the numbers. I can't keep track of the numbers anymore, but it's staggering. And it's, I don't don't know how we could say that, you know, this is fake. Um, And then anger, which I think is probably the hardest one um, for people to come to terms with. Because it's like when all of this is happening Uh, Nobody wants to admit that they're angry about it because it feels selfish, you know, to be angry that you're stuck inside when people are dying or to be angry that people are dying or to be angry that this there's a lot of, you know, I've seen actually the humor has been sort of the medicine for the first two of these for sure. The humor is quite the the, the memes have definitely been the saving grace. You know, you see things like 2020 was going to be my year. And then three months into 2020 and there's this one video with this office scene where people are just going completely nuts, like falling to the ceiling, throwing copy machines out the window, just creating like more chaos than even anything's actually happening inside. But that's how we feel inside, right? And
0: I would like to add, uh, as far as anger is concerned, there are people who still have to work, Um, delivery drivers, there are restaurant workers. I was just stunned. I, I live in downtown Chicago. I was stunned to see how many restaurants are open and actively advertising. Ta- they're uh, open for takeout. They're not open for dine-in, but they're open for takeout and delivery. And I'm thinking. These poor people still have to show up for work. Prep cooks, line cooks, dishwashers, managers. These people are still showing up for work. Amazon delivery drivers, Amazon warehouse workers, grocery stores are still open. Whole Foods just staged a walkout this week. Yeah, So the Because of these walkouts, I'm noticing that these people are angry. They feel that they're not being protected from the virus. They're having to be exposed to the general public every day because the grocery stores are still open. So there are people that aren't able to stay home and isolate and turn inward. They're still having to go out there and work every day. And there are a lot of people, myself included, who can work from home but there are some people who can't, and uh, they're, they're starting an uprising, and I don't blame them. But what do we do?
1: I'm glad you brought that up because that is a really important point, and certainly didn't mean to um, exclude those people and how could they use this as an opportunity or initiation. And they are the heroes, you know, they are really the, the hero side of Aries. They are the heroic, mm-hmm. they are on the battlefield you know, and probably they are getting the deepest spiritual initiation because they're on the front lines, you know, and we owe everything to these people that are saving lives and keeping us fed. My God, can you imagine? I mean, these are the real heroes of the story. Yeah. So um, we cannot express enough gratitude. I was so thankful to hear that they're doing this all over the world. Now they started that here. Actually, the day that Mars went into Capricorn, in uh, in sidereal astrology, which is a sign of exaltation, so Mars, the god of war, at its full strength, they did a five-minute banging, clanging with bells and clapping for all the heroes, all the workers here in India before they started the, the lockdown. That was like that was their ritual to first before we did anything to honor these people. Like nothing would be possible without our Mars people. And Mars is the dominant archetype of the year, too. Even, I would say even beyond Saturn and Pluto, all these energies we're talking about, in the day-to-day, the Mars energy is what is going to save us because we are in a battlefield. And Mars, by the way, the second half of 2020, Mars will be in Aries, which is the other numerology of this year. The four is the emperor, which is Aries archetype. This is happening during Aries season. This is all getting really initiated during Aries season. I mean, on a global level, I know it happened earlier in China, but before it became completely a global situation. Really, this is all peaking, we could say, during Aries season. And um, the second half of 2020 is all about Aries. Mars will be in his own home sign of Aries for the second half of 2020. So these people, these heroes, these workers, these people on the battlefield, this is their year in a way. I mean, it's like such incredible um, power, and we do owe everything to these people. I mean, we should every day be doing gratitude prayers and just thinking and protecting these people, blessing these people for saving us because we would, if we didn't have these people, we would all be dead right now. So right. they are really the heroes. It cannot be said enough.
0: Mm-hmm. And there are also unconscious aspects to these planets, these inner energies. And panic, I heard you say, is unconscious Saturn. Yes. So what is conscious Saturn in in us? How we can embrace these energies? And Mars entered Aquarius actually two days ago on March 30th and joined Mm -hmm. up with Saturn the very next day. So those two energies, Mars and Saturn, are co-present in the beginning of Aquarius. Mm-hmm. What do we do now? And twelve one. 1, so they're sextiling Chiron in Aries. And Chiron is the healer archetype. I just want to make sure we cover mm-hmm. all of these things. If there's anything you'd like to add about the conscious, the unconscious aspects, the shadow side of these planets.
1: Starting with Saturn, conscious Saturn is about maturity, responsibility, integrity doing the right thing showing up even when it's difficult having strong boundaries being okay being alone being able to be your own advocate you know your own author you know the saturn return we always say is about coming into authorship of your life saturn teaches us how to have backbone how to face difficult situations how adversity is a teacher for us how adversity can be one of the greatest teachers. And most importantly, I think, Saturn teaches us to stop wasting things. So our most precious commodity, and the thing my teacher always says is, we can get anything back except for time. Saturn is the ruler of time. Saturn is showing us how precious time is. And if that has not been a lesson of this, right? I mean, we are really reevaluating our relationship to time. Now, unconscious Saturn can be being way too hard on ourselves. And I've seen people do this, like, oh, I should have written my sixth novel already while I'm in quarantine, or why am I just napping, or I feel so guilty, or I'm a loser, or other people are doing the quarantine better than me. Uh, if you're too hard on yourself, that can be unconscious Saturn, or too rigid, or, um, you know, projecting the scapegoat energy of Saturn, you know, panic is unconscious Saturn, because he's Pan. It's more, not Saturn, but more the devil, Capricorn. You know, one of the signs Saturn rules is Capricorn. So I Mm. think panic can be more, uh, anxiety and panic come from the unconscious Capricorn because it's the devil archetype. So we go into fear. But something beautiful, beautiful that I want to share that um, one of the senior swamis said in a recent uh, talk here just a few nights ago that really was so profound and I think will help people a lot listening is that if you are willing, and this is Saturn talk, by the way, to go into the heart of your fear, that means really being alone, like really sitting and going very deeply with your fear, not a superficial analysis of your fear, but you go into the heart of your fear so deep that you come into a helplessness, a feeling of helplessness, because that's what's at the bottom of fear. And if we can get in touch with that deep, helplessness you get to a state of surrender and when you feel helpless you will connect back to love the fear will melt into love because that's the only place it can go at its deepest source is back to love and that's helped me a lot through this time thinking about that so when I feel myself going into fear um like as you know i got gotten sick of course any of us get sick we start to think oh my god the first thing you think is i have it right you know (laughs) and but if we can just go deeper don't stay on the surface where the anxiety is but go to the surrender place the helpless place the vulnerable place the inner child place you will connect back to the love so that's conscious saturn now Uh, The other one you asked me about, um, should we do Pluto and then I guess the Aries side, the Mars, we can do Pluto. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So unconscious Pluto is power tripping. It's like uh, self-destructive energy, you know, using power and like nuclear power. Pluto's like nuclear power. It's very intense power of the underworld. You know, he's the god of the underworld. If you use power to harm, you know, or to take or greed or lust or any of the unconscious pieces of power over somebody versus empowerment which you use in the service of love and compassion so now unconscious pluto is when you're asleep in the grave like in that tarot card the 20th major arcana, the judgment and you're sitting full of judgment you're just asleep and judging so i find unconscious pluto is like a lot of power struggle power hungriness wanting to judge everything and everyone that's unconscious pluto judgment day right <laughs> like oh look at us let's judge let's, let's call out everyone else's thing right and conscious pluto is deep empowerment shadow work like we were talking about earlier like conscious pluto is helping you to embrace your shadow not giving your power away to other people and the only reason we give our power away is because it's the shadow that we have not integrated. So Pluto is the path to shadow integration. And if you look at the glyph of Pluto, which we're not on video, but I have it tattooed on my wrist, it's the cross of matter with a crucible sitting on top of the cross of matter. So always the reminder that what supports us is that cross of matter, which is what keeps the heart open, which is the the root and the, the earth and the sky and the, you know, the four directions. And then also like the past, the future, like how we get pulled into these crossroads in life and all the four elements as well, like the Jungian typology, we could say like thinking, intuition, sensation and feeling. And then here we have the circle, the symbol of the self sitting on top of that crucible, getting cooked. So Pluto really cooks us. (laughs) It cooks us. It's the alchemy of the soul. That's Mm -hmm. conscious Pluto. So we got a lot going on, you can see, right? Now, taking it more to... Uh, Real time where we are now, because that's like a big archetypal backdrop. That's like the, you know, that's kind of the big score behind everything. But now if we come more into what's happening April 1st, 2020, we are in Aries and Mars territory here. So Aries is the archetype of the emperor. Conscious Aries is self-possession. It's confidence. It's um, being able to blaze your own trail, uh, honor yourself. Know yourself, see yourself, like we you mentioned, the ICU. Unconscious areas can be no patience, you know, kind of throwing a fit, um, <laughs> competitive, you know, a uh, little bit narcissistic, like a little too me oriented, you know, if it doesn't feel seen. When we don't feel seen, we have the narcissistic wound. So now all of us are dealing with our narcissistic wounds, by the way, because Chiron, the wounded healer, is hanging out in the sign of the narcissism. So it's the Aries can be the unconscious, right? Helping us to come into sense of self, but the unconscious would be the narcissism. We don't feel seen. We don't feel loved. We don't feel we were, we felt invisible as children. We felt rejected. Often it can come from a deep rejection. Now Chiron's mythological story is that he was rejected by his father, Saturn. So he went, he was fortunate enough to have Apollo, the sun, God, Teach him all the gifts, the artistic gifts. So that was the trade off. He he didn't have the father's love of Saturn. He felt rejected. That was the wound, but he had the gifts of Apollo to show him his creative gifts. So I was thinking this goes back to how the Sun card um, is is the you know the prelude before we get to Saturn and Pluto, Pluto and Saturn. Rather 2021, we have the Sun card 19, COVID 19. COVID-19, the Mm. sun, that is the archetype to heal this. Apollo, the sun guide, healed Chiron. We all, I've been telling everyone, we need to turn to the sun. The sun actually supposedly kills the virus even, you know, the power of the sun. So meditate on the sun right now. If you can see the sun, if you can be in the sun in your deck or whatever, some people can still have access to the sun, hopefully. If not, do an inner, we used to do this inner guide meditation where we just imagine the sun beating down through our body to heal us. That's a big one from the inner guide that I do with my clients. The sun is so healing now. Connect to your own sun sign right now. Like what it brings. I did a funny thing like each sun sign, what it would do in quarantine for fun. But you could think about that. Like what does your sun want to do right now? How do you connect back to your sun? Or if if sun sign feels too like cliche astrology, just the the archetype of the sun, your inner child. What gives you life? What gives you life force? What what makes you what makes you thrive and feel the most alive? That's what we have to turn toward right now. I think, um, in this time.
0: So you do a lot of work with the natal chart as a tool for healing. You work with Chiron. Chiron is the healer archetype. Um, I know that I got um, a little distracted and triggered when I was all of a sudden just started thinking about sort of feeling fortunate to be able to be stuck at home. Um, I get a little concerned when I hear people talk about boredom and, you know, that the main thing is what they're going to eat and what movies they're going to watch and thinking, I don't want to be unconscious through this and just kind of sit around and wait for it to be over. I also heard somebody say that uh, somebody's screaming at kind of everybody online saying everybody needs to stay home so that we can have the summer that we all planned. And Oof. I thought, wow, wow, yeah. I don't want to yeah. be unconscious through this. Um, yeah. I I want to take stock of my life and you were talking about um, Saturn and things that we waste and you mentioned time and one of the things that I realized in trying to keep my house stocked with essentials is how much how wasteful I've been and the habits that I had that I wasn't really aware of simple things like Kleenex and paper towels that I was using yeah. and food products that I would discard and just yeah. all the things that I threw away on a daily basis that I'm now not throwing away um, and being more mindful of. So, and, and, and everybody, I think this is going to touch everybody in a different way. And for us just to be more conscious of ourselves and the resources that we use.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. I just, when we were talking, I was thinking about, I don't know if you had seen, I I try not to listen to or watch the news, but I'm on social media and I'll see headlines. And um, there was a walkout by Whole Foods workers and by Amazon workers. And those are two companies that I use. I, I do shop at Whole Foods and I do order things from Amazon. And and so I I took a look t- to see what was yeah. going on and was just appalled at the conditions these people were saying they were forced to work mm. in. Otherwise, they would have gotten fired, that they didn't have proper sanitation.
1: <gasps>
0: they had asked for gloves. They had asked for masks. They were denied. And they are fearful of contracting this virus and bringing it home to their families and these are people that live paycheck to paycheck and they need to work and they can't afford to take unpaid sick leave um and Mm. it's just something that i keep thinking about because i wonder what is my part in this by continuing to order things on amazon because i'm afraid of running out so when i order something on amazon somebody has to you know pack that right Mm -hmm. it has to be shipped it has to be delivered and how am I contributing to them being in harm's way these are items I can do without I can certainly live off of what I have in my pantry
1: yep then that's the answer yeah that's a great point because I think we all have to consider that I think we're finally really that's another conscious Saturn piece is we're Finally considering the consequences of our actions and how we're, and we didn't talk about, this is probably important too. We didn't talk about now the shift Mars and Saturn into Aquarius. It's that realization on such a bone level, Saturn and Aquarius, Mars and Aquarius that we are all in this together. There is no like, you know, this won't affect me. Like another uh, teaching uh, almost says is that, you know, it's like a house on fire just, you know, when the fire is on the first floor, people on the top floors think, oh, what why should I worry the fire is on the first floor? Well, it's just a matter of time till it reaches your floor. And we're seeing that now because we've been in denial. Oh, that thing is over there. That thing is over there. This won't affect me. It's just a matter of time. And Aquarius teaches us that we are so interconnected. And we also didn't talk about uh, conscious and unconscious Mars, which I think is important, okay. too, during this time. Conscious Mars is the hero, the heroic Archetype, you know, as we did mention, but the unconscious Mars, so conscious is courage and, um, you know, the ability to fight for something righteous and um, being strategic and um, really using our energy for the good and um, knowing when to assert ourselves and knowing when we need to cut ties that are no longer healthy or behaviors that are no longer healthy and to stand up for ourselves. Now, unconscious Mars, of course, is, you know, when we do things that are destructive, when we harm other people, when we kill, when we, uh, you know, are angry, it's not righteous anger, but attached anger, where we want to hurt someone or ourselves through anger, unconscious anger, um, which, you know, we have to watch out for, like when people, that's like the kind of uh, hoarding stuff, you know, when people were like fighting over the toilet paper right. and things like or f- lack of food supplies, then the unconscious Mars can come out where it's like survival of the fittest or whatever, you know? And when that maybe doesn't need to happen yet, hopefully people don't have to get into that primal, like every man for himself kind of thing. So um, we we definitely need to keep the Mars energy conscious. And what you said was very true, that now we are looking at like, okay, what what's wasteful and what have I been doing not thinking about how this action will affect someone else like a lot of us we don't see it because it's behind the scenes people eat meat because they think oh well you know you don't even you don't when you're eating it you're not seeing the cow that's suffering you don't see it you just it's covered up in a bun and condiments or whatever you know it's something you've done your whole life so you don't think about it but if people actually saw those movies or those videos every time they were about to take a bite of the meat maybe they wouldn't eat it I don't know but there's like a separation right but I think that's getting less and less because now we're seeing the effect so it's getting closer to us we can't deny how our actions can harm and if we want to take away the harm that we're doing toward other people and it will come back to us see the idea before was like well we got away with it or something i don't know i don't know people i think that but now we feel the effects that's how we learn we need to have a little bit of that kind of the repercussions of our actions show up more in our face i think to really to sound the alarm bell to wake us up. You know, fear does work in that way when we're like, oh, this is gonna have an impact on us or this will have a consequence in my life. You know, people that are like, oh, that's not going to affect me. So this has also been a big wake up call. So like you said, and then we think, especially when we see these big companies, you know, that's the other thing that's crumbling now, or this mm-hmm. corporate you know, the damage of the corporate world, just how destructive it is on so many levels. Mm-hmm.
0: There's still some difficult astrology coming up. Um, The Mars-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius is going to square Uranus in Taurus on April 7th, which is the same day as the full moon in Libra. We also have a Jupiter-Pluto conjunction coming up. Uh, Jupiter-Saturn later this year Well, this summer Saturn's going to retrograde back into Capricorn and meet back up with Pluto, although it conjunction won't be exact it'll the, the two planets yeah. will get within three degrees in september yeah. october um during mars's retrograde in aries so there's still a lot of difficulty coming up um i don't know that it's peaked so what would you say
1: i, I think i think when i know i think we kind of are in a peak right now um i don't know if it's the peak but I did feel like the Mars-Saturn, which we're in now, was a big peak, like a real, peak in the sense of like a real uh, showing the limitations, you know, like people facing like the hardship of this. I mean, I know like it's interesting, the full moon is bringing another level of that, of course, with the Mars uh, squaring Uranus in Taurus. I'm sure that's going to be another – we're com- We're heading into that. So, yeah, probably the next week is still quite intense. And then I, I'm i hopeful that, you know, when we get into mid-May, there's something that is a little softer with the Venus energies getting stronger then. Venus retrograde, I hope, will help a little. Um, and we get out of that Kalasarpa yoga at the end of May – but yeah, I mean, it's it, 2020 in general is a rough ride, and we, won't, we can't deny that. We have to stay very vigilant, very aware, and keep keep consider. I think keep contemplating this as an initiation into higher consciousness. If we see it that way, versus a punishment, you know. If we see it, or yeah. like, you know, there's that meme going around, like the Earth sent us back to our rooms to think about what we've done. I mean, in a way, yeah, but. Let's think about wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we should always think about what we've done, right? right? We should need a punishment or a grounding from nature (laughs) to, um, you know. But it takes, like, extreme, it's all cause and effect, you know. This is happening because of an extreme behavior that we were doing, extremes, right, that Mm -hmm. were going on. The earth was choking. I've been saying, like, you know, Traveling as much as I do, I see how bad the air quality is in so many parts of the world. And right before this happened, I was thinking about that. You know, I was in Jaipur, and I had just been there maybe three years before in India. And this time, when I was there, I was like, I couldn't breathe, and I was like, My God, this is such a beautiful city. Why is the air so polluted here? This is so sad. It was coming from this. It wasn't Jaipur, but it's it's moving now from Chennai. You know, so it was just so sad. And um, I it was, I was heartbroken to see that the air, you know, the air quality is around the world is just, was so bad. So I was thinking about the choking and how like the earth herself was like wearing a mask. Now we have to wear a mask. So if we can just think of this time where some people said, you know, like we're quarantined, but think of the animals that we eat that were uh, stuck in these cages all the time, or think about, you know, the waters that are, uh, have the toxins in them, that's like our our waters that feel that we have these poisons now. The, I think in a way, to think like that can help us to have that compassion, and to think of this as an offering, you know, our, what we're going through, it's like we're giving back now, unfortunately, this we'd like to give back in a much healthier way to nature, right? Not in this way, but instead of, uh, you know, just waiting for this to end, why don't we use this opportunity to come into a deep solidarity with nature and healing and to, and with each other, you know, and to wake up compassion.
0: Yes. With, with each other and what each other's going through. And, uh, yeah, this wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk a little bit more about death. Yes. Because, um, the projected numbers for deaths, just even here in the United States are in the hundreds of thousands and, I was stunned to see that yesterday, and I hope that isn't true, but that is what uh, is being projected, that the U.S. will have around 300,000 deaths from this virus, and uh, people will, I mean, it could touch me, people in my family, um, I... I don't spend yeah. a lot of time thinking about death. I, when I was traveling with the Tibetan Buddhist monks a few years ago, I attended a lecture about death and dying and how we should prepare for our death, and mm-hmm. how in that their culture they spend the I think the last quarter of their lives pre- preparing for their death consciously, and it's something now to think about. I. What do you have to say about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, death is the greatest spiritual teacher because it makes you wake up to the present moment and take nothing for granted and get really clear about your priorities. And I think we're all staring death in the face one level or again, we don't know. We don't know who death is going to call. On one, the one hand, you know, people say in spirituality, they say, I don't know who the people are, but you know, we've heard this right. expression, like when it's your time, it's your time, right? So there's a little bit of comfort in that. It's not like this is just breaking that rule suddenly, like, you know, that's it. Now we're all going to die. It's more like, you know, we have to trust, like on some level, we not get, if it's not our time, we're not going, but no, nobody knows when our time is and um, we should always be prepared for death, we should always be looking into the face of death so that we stay very alive and very present and to die before you die, you know, that's a big, um, te- I think it's a Sufi teaching, to die before you die so that you look into the heart of death as your greatest teacher to come become more alive, more compassionate, more in the moment, let go of all the petty things that waste your time, waste your energy our minds are cluttered with things that don't matter, you know? And when we really confront death, all of that goes away. It just immediately, if you talk to anybody close to death, they will tell you all that matters is who you loved, how you loved, and making sure you express that love and who you helped, what kind of service you did, and being on good terms with everybody in your life, you know, not holding any grudges. People on their deathbed, that's what they care about. They don't care about how much money they have or, how many followers they had or how much success they had. They care about the love that they, the love in their life, right? Right. Most important. It all gets really crystal clear. So, and I'm glad you brought up death because I realized we kind of left people hanging on those stages from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, which I do find to be very comforting now. So we we got we got cut off at the anger stage. We got onto another topic. So the, the remaining phases of grief, because we're all in a death phase, because the old paradigm is dying. I mean, we're all in a death phase. There's no mm-hmm. question whether people have died in our lives or we are not. But so uh, after anger comes bargaining, after bargaining comes depression and then acceptance. So you might feel yourself cycling through those different phases each day or each week. It's okay. Just give expression to them. Just know it's part of the healing, it's part of the grieving. And the lungs are the area of the body where we store grief. So you don't you we all need to strengthen our lungs no matter what, whether how close or far this virus comes, if that's the the place, right? If we look at that as the archetype, right? Grieving. We have to grieve. Let yourself grieve for nature. Like I feel like one of the best things you can do now as a ritual is to mourn all the suffering that nature has gone through and that we have caused and let yourself grieve that don't hold on to it because we're feeling that but if we hold on to it it weakens us but if we express and we give love to that we can strengthen
0: holding on to it weakens us but grieving yeah. will strengthen us yes
1: yeah, so like anything you know any if we hold on to anger it weakens us that doesn't mean you act out on your anger but you don't hang on to it you don't repress it if you hang on to depression it's anger directed against the self. That also weakens us. Grieving, you know, if we're not allowed to cry and grieve, I recommend everyone once a day get into child's pose. If you know this yoga pose, yeah, I think it's one of the most healing poses right now. Really? Two poses okay. I recommend. Child's pose because it brings you into the inner child, into the self. It's very deeply comforting and nourishing to go into that posture. And the other one, the counter pose that I really like for the lungs and the healing of the lungs is the fish pose. Matsyasana, if you know that, you can look it up. The fish pose opens up the lungs, heals the lungs, expands the heart to give your lungs. It helps the grief come out. So those two are coming to me for people to do and um, to help heal on the the body level of this.
0: And visualize the white petals falling from the sky. I love
1: that. And then the chant that goes with that, if people know from yoga, is loka, Samasta. And that is a prayer for may all beings in this world and in all of the other worlds, that's all beings, nature beings, celestial beings, human beings, may all the beings in this world and in all the other worlds be happy and free. And to chant that nine times, maybe you could put it in the, the um, show notes. I don't yes. know if you have show notes. That would be great. Yes, I will. It's a very powerful chant. To do that nine times while you're visualizing the continuous showering of the white flower petals. Thank you, Shireen. Thank you, Laura.
0: Please visit the website Speaking of Jung. That's J U N G for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There, you'll also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. With special thanks to Chris Brennan, Lisa Scheim, Kelly Surtees, Austin Kopic, Robert Hand, and Rick Levine. This is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Young.